This is Wayne Kramer. I'm here with Dave and Shane talking to Rock. Thank you all. Three, two, one. Like Haley's Comet coming back, MC5 back and heavier than ever. The new MC5 album, Heavy Lifting, first new MC5 record in 51 years. Brother Wayne Kramer on the show. Brother Shane here. I'm Brother Dave. <laughs> uh, you're Diamond Dave. Brother, no, I'm Diamond Dave. You're, you're Diamond Shane. We, we don't know who we are because we, we don't know who we are. We just know who we talk to. And we are so jazzed right now. I mean, this was a moment like this was this is about as big as it gets. Right. I mean, for um, the history of um, rock and roll. Uh, yeah. I'm, what are you feeling, the brother? Uh, adrenaline through the roof. It, it's just um, not only has his music, you know, his music shaped what I like, but the stuff that influenced him uh, has also been a big part of my life. And so I'm like, here's a guy I'm indebted to really for, you know, along with Fred and Rob and everybody else, uh, Dennis, that, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm into punk because of MC5, so... I'm, I'm eternally indebted to them. And I think everyone that, that likes the bands, like the hardcore bands, the you know, from the Misfits to Black Flag to Minor Threat to heck, even Public public Enemy Rap, um, we all owe a debt to Wayne and, and those guys. They, they they changed the the landscape and they got Iggy Pop signed. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, I would just say so much of us like grown up and you know it's one thing to say you know you pick up an album from the 70s or the 80s and you say oh this is old school rock but people you you gotta go deep and in depth to get back to the foundation and that's where you find wayne kramer and that's where you find iggy and the stooges that's where you find mc5 there would be no iggy pop right without mc5 right. as you uh so correctly said and I get the chills like I got goosebumps. You know what I mean? I just you yeah. just get goosebumps when you go back to that foundation. And you're right because you listen to punk. I mean, that was a big part of your life, and and still is. It's it's awesome. And there would be no clash, right? There there'd be no misfits right. without the MC5, bar none. I mean, just no doubt about it. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, e even Lemmy uh, has said in interviews, like when he was asked, like, what was the band that influenced you? And and he was MC5. You know, that was the band that. Everyone was like, holy crap. Yeah. I, I, to put it like this, I, to describe the, the 70s landscape, um, when Detroit. I was a kid, I bought, and I'll do it through a purchase I made when I was like 10, but I, I, was at a, I went to a yard sale in our neighborhood, and there was this four LP set from Warner Brothers like called Superstars of the 70s. 
And it was all Warner Brothers acts. Alice Cooper's on it, Black Sabbath. And the very first song on one of the records was Kick Out the Jams. Mm. And I listened to the crowd. I mean, James Taylor's on it. Everybody's on it. It's like every, <laughs> every genre who? of music. Yeah. yeah. I kept going back to kick out the jams. Now they censored that version on there, of course, like they did most places. And then eventually I heard the, the original version, which made it so much cooler. But um, it, it was so different from everything else. You know, there's probably 40 songs on that set. And that song stood out to me hmm. as a very young kid. I mean, and, and I always, when I was into metal early on and I was into punk early on, it was always about that's why Metallica appealed to me was it was always about what what's harder what, yeah. what, who's playing faster who's playing harder who's saying more and the, the fact that that came out when it came out still blows my mind yeah because nothing it's, sounded like them nothing like it oh yeah I mean they were like you know they were that first footprint in a brand new plot of cement on the sidewalk you know what i mean it's not going anywhere it's there it's a cornerstone now yeah. and uh, they're going to kick off that tour mc5 kicking off that uh, new tour cinco de mayo may 5th uh, in detroit and uh, they're gonna, they're coming out to pittsburgh they're coming out to philly dude we got to see that we got to see those boys yeah yeah underground arts in philly um, yeah. the band lineup is amazing he the last time he toured uh as mc50 and maybe you can go over the the new mc5 um, yep. but he had kim file from soundgarden mr gold from faith, faith no more i think stephen perkins is on the new is in the new group that jane's addiction drummer yep i know i know like mike watt from the minuteman firehose bobbleheads he, he's played with them um before because I mean, these guys are their idols like these mm. these are the reasons why these people picked up these guitars. Yeah. I think there's a member of Allison Chains in the new group. Uh, let's see. Uh, Stephen Perkins, like you said. Vicky Randall on bass. Uh, Stevie Salas on guitar. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, he's, he's George Clinton's uh, yeah, yeah, guitarist. Yeah. He's been playing with Parliament Funkadelic for so that's like, <laughs> that's awesome. I don't know how many so years. Cool. Yeah, uh, MC5 singer now Brad Brooks, a longtime friend of Tom Morella, you know, from Rage Against the Machine. And, and we got to see Jane's Addiction together. I mean, Steve, Stephen Perkins is just insane. Yeah, that was drama. a great show, brother. That was a great show. <laughs> he does it all. I, I, uh, and, and Dave Navarro fired his guitar tech that night, remember? Yeah. <laughs> he said, well, he's not, he's not going to be working here next time or something. I, I <laughs> we called him out on stage. <laughs> called him out on stage. Can you come here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, everyone, I want you to meet. I want you to meet so and so. Uh, he's this is his last gig or something like right. that. Right. It, it was insane. Oh, my God. But uh, Stephen Perkins is just, uh, wow. It's going to be so much fun. The power that, that uh, comes out of Wayne's guitar, I don't think people realize until they actually see him. So yeah. it's got it's that red and white, red, white, and blue. Mm hmm. It's like an old classic Chevy engine, man. It just plays. It just got that sound. You fight. It's like it's like a an old Corvette, a 454 or something. You know, you just turn it on. You, you know, you hear it, and it's like, that's Detroit. That's that's Detroit. You know, muscle right there. That's Detroit. Yeah. That's it's rock and roll. Not just Detroit. It's right. It's the spirit of rock and roll. But it's like, yeah, it's raw and it's dangerous. I love what it. was it like growing up in the shadow of them? Um, yeah, when you were coming up, like they they were still huge, right? Yeah, I mean, they, 
they didn't they weren't necessarily played on the the radio at least that i listened to i mean i listened to the riff you know which is kind of like the mmr of philly you know that historic you know flagship regional or you know uh hometown rock and roll station but they just existed in legend you know people would talk about mc5 they would just you know you talk about music some of the younger bands would talk about oh yeah kick out the you know the, the phrase kick out the jams was something you'd say almost like john <laughs> you know in philly yeah. it was just uh almost like that like it was just it was just out there in the ether you know what i mean like you just knew of it um you didn't know necessarily like you never saw them you never knew maybe the last time they had played but you just knew that they were a huge detroit thing you know it was uh it was just part of it was like verners it was like uh you know god i don't know it was like the big three it was like chevy it was like ford it was like chrysler it was like anything it was like a cody dog a detroit cody dog a deep dish or i mean a detroit style pizza you know it was just it was just a detroit thing that was almost part of the slang <laughs> you know? yeah. but but it was interesting because growing up it was like like i said i mean i remember i was in middle school and i remember people talking about mc5 and and you just you heard it you knew it it was just something that was there you know even if you didn't know all of the band members if you you know you were young and too young to know other hits too young to know all of the things that Wayne just talked about. You know, you just knew MC5, just like you knew Iggy and the Stooges or Ted Nugent or, you, you know what I mean? It was, and it was, and yeah. that's, that's, that's impactful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, to you though, like the first time you heard him, what, what was your reaction? Raw, raw energy, <laughs> Detroit. And I, I, I got it. I, I got what Detroit rock and roll history, you know, like what that scene why it's the home of rock and roll you know if you listen to you know that was the riff tagline you know detroit the home of rock and roll um you know why it was one of the reasons why detroit it's why kiss was first adopted in detroit you know a new york band detroit was the first city that caught on you know bob yeah. seeger you know uh uh amboy dukes um you know uh mitch Ryder. Uh, yeah stuff. mitch yeah mitch Ryder, detroit wheels uh um, Grand Funk, it's, it, it was just part of that, you know, you, you got, I got the sense that this is, this is where it started, you know what I mean? As Mike Skill said, you know, Romantics, like, you know, when he was on, th this is just where it started, you know what I mean? Like, there's a brand of rock and roll that started here that's everlasting, that's, that's defiant, that's just, uh, you know, and, and, and it's still going today, <laughs> you yeah. know? So I would say, yeah, I just, you got it. I heard it and I just said, I get it. I totally get it, you know? Yeah. Well, when, when Wayne was asked a few years ago, uh, you know, when you say kick out the jams, what does it mean? And he said, and I, and I quote, if you, if you're going to do anything, do it full measure. Don't equivocate, be all the way in. And that was their philosophy as a yeah. band. And um, they did it. Most, most bands start out with a studio record, another studio record, make a live record. MC5 started out with two singles on independent labels and and their first album was a live album. <laughs> yeah. I so mean, cool. who does yeah. that? Nobody. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, yeah. he said, you know, we're playing these venues and we didn't have a hit single. <laughs> or, or, right? They or got like booted, a hit record. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They got booted off of uh, Electra because they were messing around with Hudson, Hudson's department store. Yep. Uh, <laughs> they basically put, they put yeah. an ad in, in the trade that said, fuck Hudson. Right. <laughs> the album was uh, too much they, for them. Hudson's wouldn't stock uh kick out the jams. Yeah. So Yeah, it's original. It's gutsy. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. I love yeah. these guys. I'm always gonna love them. Yeah. You should too. I do. Oh yeah, you must. 
We yes. are MC5. Yes, that's right. If you're not unsubscribed <laughs> now. No, I'm kidding. No, subscribe. Please subscribe. <laughs> yeah. That's true. <laughs> what do Leave you say? now. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say we get on into this bad boy? I think we need to kick out the jams, Dave. Oh, yeah. We're on the tape. <laughs> <laughs> Brother Wayne Kramer on the show. This, you know, I'm a Detroit boy myself. So this is like, I've waited a lifetime for this moment. It's so cool. (laughs) The new album, the first MC5 album in 50 years, heavy lifting, produced by Bob Ezra. New tour starting in May, going to uh, Detroit's Elk Club. May 5th is when it all kicks off. Uh, Brother Wayne, I got to ask you, you know, you started, you lit that Detroit fire back in the 60s, and it still burns on the tracks that we've heard. And how do you keep that fire burning? How did you keep that fire burning after all these years? It wasn't that hard, really. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, I have I have a sense of beauty and what I what I strive to create. um, And it's an aesthetic that uh, has held pretty consistent over the years. Uh, I've always it's been important to me to push music forward, to try to um, inject as much reality into it as I can. Um, you know, I, I, I love uh, crunchy slamming guitars and big beats, and I love, you know, free jazz, and I like music that, that's experimental and goes out, and I... I love great singing and great dancing and, you know, that stuff has held me uh, well, served me well over the years. And, uh, you know, I've spent my youth learning how to do that. And music is one of the things that's not actually tied to youth. It's something you can continue to do and, and continue to develop your ideas and be more stretched out and, and more passionate more committed as time goes. It's not like sports, for example, which are, are tied to be in, you know, 20-ish, 30-ish at the most. Music, the arts, you can, you can, you can go right to the, to the end. I mean, you know, my goal is to go out like Johnny Guitar Watson. You know, you walk out and say, hello, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Johnny Guitar Watson. I'm here to play for you tonight. Ah! <laughs> yes. <laughs> What, uh, how, how's it been? And I, I, I got to see your, your MC 50 tour when it, when it came through and, uh, you were with Kim from Soundgarden, uh, Mr. Gold from Faith No More, a bunch of people. How rewarding is it to you that all you got to do is make a phone call and, and these guys are going to be with you. They're going to, they got your back. Well, it's not actually that easy. It's not now, but somebody, somebody on <laughs> and, your and reason, I'll tell yeah. you why. I'll, I'll answer your question. But, you know, everybody needs to be busy. You know, yeah. we all got to put food on the table. And uh, so, you know, it's a matter of like 
you know, are you available? Not only do you want to do this, do you think this will be fun, but are you available? You know, everybody's yeah. making their new album. Everybody's got their own tour. Now everybody has kids, you know, school events and, um, but your your main the main thrust of your question that it it, it is gratifying to know that the all the guys I've worked with the men and women I've played with over the years you know they all discovered the work of the MC5 at some point in their own journey and when they heard that music they said I want some of that I want to do that, yeah. and and that influenced everybody. I mean, it's it's the underlying reason of how we ended up today, saying we are all MC Five. That yeah. you know, this is a community uh, of people with like values and and a like morality and like uh, musical uh, sensibilities. Yeah. So yeah, it's nice to know that you know people recognized your stuff and they heard it and it meant something to them. It was important to them. This doesn't strike me as just, I mean, any new album is great, but it's the first one in what, 51 years, first MC5 album. But also, I mean, this is, you know, to your point, you, you talk about that, that shared, those shared values. What does it mean to you personally to be able to carry this torch after all these years and still do it and bring in a whole new generation of fans. Well, for me, it just seems as it should be. Uh, you know, we're at a dangerous time right now. I think that, uh, I mean, one of the, I think it's necessary to ignite that spirit that I had when I was 20, um, that I shared with all young people of my generation, that the way they were running the world was wrong, <laughs> seriously, dangerously wrong, and we had some better ideas. Well, I think we're at that point even more profoundly today. If we don't, um, step up if we don't get serious about um, our community our nation our freedoms our rights um, they could all go away you know the people that that um, oppose us um, they're not joking they're serious you know if the donald trump's uh the, the putin's the um ormans of the world uh, if these guys are allowed to continue and flourish, democracy as we know it will go away. <laughs> you know, we're not we're not uh, blessed by some magical power to be allowed to do this. This re democracy requires participation. It, you know, freedom isn't free. <laughs> right. Right. It, since you lived it. Uh, you see a lot of similarities between 1967, 1968, and and 2020, 2021, 2022. Are you seeing a parallel there? Like, is history kind of? You know, a little bit, but this is a whole different paradigm that we're we're facing today. I mean, back then we had policy issues that we could 
address the war, civil rights, the environmental movement, um, gay people's rights, um, working women's rights. Uh, they were they were clear cut policy issues, education. Uh, today, it, there's there's it's a different problem. We're not talking about policy anymore. We're talking about um, uh, an ideology of uh, authoritarianism, of fascism yeah. that's coming to America. You know, the great Huey P. Long, governor of Louisiana, said when fascism comes to America, it'll come wrapped up in an American flag. That's what we're seeing. This is what's happening. And, and it's not just, um, you know, the left and the right, because those 70 million Trump voters, you know, they're angry. And they're angry because they're not doing as well as their parents did or their grandparents did. And they, they need some solutions. They need some answers, and they're not getting it. I mean, in that sense, we're all on, we're all MC5. We're all in this deal, you know. We're all together in this. When I think back yes, to are. when I think back to the uh, you know, growing up in in and around Detroit, you know, hearing about the of course the Detroit riots, you know, I had family who lived through it, and um, of course the time of Vietnam and racial tensions, so much going on. For music, uh, for you guys to be able to express yourself uh, musically, you know in protest and then you see what guys like tom morello what he's doing and others i mean you you set do you feel the sense that you you guys set a bar but also set a process in place to be able to demonstrate through music which brings people together but just you know really it, it's just a cacophony of expression right there yeah i think I think it's an artist's responsibility to to raise the bar um, on on the art, um, to inspire each other. Um, that's the role that art plays. You know, we tell these stories in the songs, or in the paintings, or in the plays, or the scripts. We tell these stories about who we are. And then when we experience the story, it confirms our humanity. It confirms that, you know, I'm not the only wacko out here. <laughs> <laughs> that there's plenty of other people that are just as concerned or just as angry or just as scared as I am. I mean, you know, it tells us that, you know, we're not alone. Yeah. Do you, do you think the, the music community is, is too quiet right now? I mean, uh, since MC5, we've had, you know, Minor Threat in the 80s. We've had Rage Against the Machine. We've had Public Enemy. Uh, do, you, do you feel like we need to have more bands like that out there doing? I, I know a lot of bands avoid it completely for, you know, financial reasons, but. How does that work? <laughs> You, if you no. avoid politics, do you get paid? Right. <laughs> well, I oh, never. That's I where went, I went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like you two started out that way, 
and obviously they they didn't stay that way i mean that that's kind of what i was getting at well i don't i don't uh i'm not critical of uh, any right. of my fellows that that uh don't care to to step up and don't care to uh to pick a side which side are you on boy which side are you on um but you know my path is clear i know what i have to do and i know plenty of other people that are walking this walk with me um you know of, of course tom and rage and you know rise against i mean there's dozens and dozens of bands that are taking a stand and doing what they can to yeah. to move us forward to hold on to this democ this elusive democracy that is quickly slipping away from us and it's not going to happen in one big event it's a little chip yeah. here and a little chip there it's, these are these are very dangerous times did you ever think you'd see um i mean going back to that time uh, when so much was happening and it felt like you know you read the history books it felt like america was on the brink then but then yeah. you feel you know so many people feel that now in so many different ways was there ever a part of you growing up that thought oh my god we could you know there could be a feeling like this again to be honest coming out of the 60s into the 70s i i kind of looked i thought well if we make it another 20 years and get past this, the point we were at that everyone was most concerned about was nuclear holocaust, even by accident or by aggression. Um, but if we could get past that, then we'd go on to a beautiful creative existence on this planet. Right. Well, we're 50 years past that. <laughs> And that's the last thing we have going on. This is worse than it was then. Um, you know, then our big concerns were, you know, the, the police, the FBI, the uh, the government's trampling on um, our the Constitution, and today. Um, They've co-opted the Constitution. They, they, you know, today we're we're really in danger of losing everything. I mean, this is this is serious. Um, you know, to, uh, it's it's like uh, we're in a war, but only one side is fighting, and it's them. <laughs> you know, right. The right are the ones that are fighting, and and the Democrats and everybody on the left is kind of. Uh, you know, kumbaya. Right. One one of your uh, quotes that I I read recently from from you. You said I had misgivings about the older generation and the establishment before the rebellion of '67, but that just pushed me into mil militancy in terms of my frustration and my anger with the way adults were running the country. I mean. Uh, looking at it now as you said you just feel like we're we have a we have a big hole to get out of here don't we yes enormous and and uh 
and and we we have to um, we have to pull out all the stops. We need to to use everything that we can we can think of to um, oppose this march to fascism. I mean, I mean, even the idea that we would elect um, that buffoon, you know, and that 70 million people voted for him is something to think about. I mean, there's a bigger problem than just him. I mean, he happened to show up at the right time at the right place. But this this um, disconnection across the country was already underway. And and I think the solution is connection, you know, to, to find that we all want the same things, that we all, you know, we want to uh, feel safe in our community. We want to feel like our voice is being heard. We want to feel like... Uh, you know, we're not being ripped off for health insurance or medical care, you know, that, that quality food is available, quality, quality education. I mean, these are the unsexy building blocks of civilization building. And uh, if we don't pay attention to them and fight for them, I mean, it's time to fight, uh, then they're going to go away. Speaking of fight and, and activism, I know in, in a bit of a different sense, there's been a fight amongst fans for years to get the MC5 in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, congratulations on the uh, on the nomination. And I just I wonder, does it mean what does it mean to you? Some artists say, you know, it's it's uh, some artists say it's a farce. It doesn't mean so much to them. I wonder what it means to you, uh, you know, uh, as a as a nominee. Well, I had all those feelings. I mean, I think this is like the fifth time they've they've uh, nominated the MC5. Um, so I've, I've run the gamut on, you know, all the cynicism. And today, you know, I think it would be nice. I think it would be, you know, a great recognition of, of the work that went in uh, the early years of the band and, and uh, the, the fans um belief in what we represented um and uh you know i would i would look at it as a as a positive step i mean i'm 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 thrilled to be in the game you know <laughs> we are too definitely Thank yeah you. we are <laughs> <laughs> wait wayne what was the that that detroit scene like i just switching topics here like it, it was such an amazing city. Um, it's something that I'm fascinated with. Uh, Dave's taught me a lot about it. What was that city like when you guys were coming up, you know, and, and, uh, and Rob and, and, and Fred were in, in other bands, the bounty hunters, the Vibratones. I mean, what was that whole scene like? It was a ball. It, it was really the sense of unlimited possibilities that we all shared, that you could do anything. You know, if you wanted something built, we could build it in Detroit. Detroit was the manufacturing center of the world. We built great cars and a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> and, and, uh, and 
you know, the, the auto industry was was uh, firing on all cylinders, if you excuse the metaphor. <laughs> the pun. <laughs> <laughs> so appropriate. But, you know, everybody had work, and work is the glue that holds communities together. Everyone had jobs. They were those, you know, good union jobs. Uh, you could support a family on, on a worker's income. Uh, you could buy a home. You could go on vacation. You could have a car or two cars. Uh, you could pay for your kids' clothes and health care. Um, so everyone, everyone felt pretty good, generally speaking. You know, the, the black community did not share in the, the um, affluence, did not share in the benefits of the successful automobile industry. Black workers were discriminated against on the shop floor um, just violently. They were last hired, first fired. They got the worst jobs in the plant, the most dangerous jobs. And, and the black community did not share in the political uh, ascendancy of Detroit. They didn't share in the social um, ascendancy of, uh, of, of the wealthy white families. Um, and, you know, it was inevitable that Detroit exploded in 1967. I mean, you know, you can keep your boot on somebody's neck for only so long. Yeah. And at some point, their humanity will demand that you respect them. They will, it will demand that you back off and make a space for me. Um, so, so, you know, in general, the, the, there was a lot going on, you know, everyone got along pretty well. And, and uh, I never, I never felt fear as a kid riding my bike through the Mexican neighborhood or, or a black neighborhood. I just, you know, we were just, it was like Converse All-Star America, you know, <laughs> baseball and pizza and and uh, the Boys Club of Detroit and all that, uh, things only got uh, out of out of hand um, later on. As as uh, of course the auto industry went down the drain yeah. and uh, took the jobs and the money and just left <laughs> as good capitalists, you know. And and yeah. now you've got a city left with full of workers and no work and despair and, and depression enters the picture, heroin enters the picture. Uh, city was flooded with firearms, murder rates skyrocket to 800 murders a year in the city of Detroit. Uh, it was, it would, it really got bad, but in the, in the early days of the, you know, 65, 66 up through 70, it was pretty exciting. It was fun. Talk about, um, you know, the Grandy Ballroom, uh, kick out the jams, of course, you know, you guys sharing the stage with Cream. And I always thought about just, you know, and others, you know, that's one of those great, sadly, no longer around anymore venues um, that really supported that scene. And I, I mean, do you think back to those days often? Because for us coming up, it's like, you know, those, th those were cornerstones of American rock and roll, you know, and you must have felt that even more so playing on stages like that. Oh, it was the best. It was the best. And we and we did it all 
without having like hit records or anything. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. just on the strength of the the performance and and uh, the audience's uh, enthusiasm. I mean, you know, we we trained them <laughs> as best we could how to respond. That if an artist got up there and and sweated and worked hard, then you should show them that you appreciate them. And, and uh, you know, Detroit became famous for having the best audiences in the world for touring bands. You know, they all want to play Detroit because if you got down, the people got down with you. Yeah. And people in Detroit worked hard and they played hard and they still yeah. do. It's, <laughs> yeah. still, it's still a great audience. That's a tradition that is built up over the over the decades and uh, it's unique too i you know uh, i i thought every place was like detroit until i started to go on tour in the mc5 in the early days and started to realize that wow this shit out here is kind of stiff man. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> well uh one of my favorite songs from you guys um never really got a studio recording uh the I guess famous infamous I don't know uh, black to calm. Um, was there ever a point where you guys were like, let's go in the studio and do this, or was it kind of like the how Danny felt about the the first record? You just didn't feel like you were going to be able to capture that song in the studio. Is there a studio recording of that song? Well, you know, there's been uh, we made stabs at it here and there, but it mm -hmm. was really just a form a format for live performance and it was always different and it was it was almost completely improvised we had a couple movements within the piece that we could go to and everyone would know yeah this is what, what's coming up we're going to play this bit now but otherwise it was our chance to to fly without a net and you know made for some some uh some exhilarating nights and made for some terrific train wrecks. <laughs> that was like your, that was, uh, that was pretty much how you like to clear the room, right? <laughs> well, in the early days, yeah, we, we used to play these, uh, you know, teen dances and we'd go into Black the Comet. The, the kids would love what we're doing because it was all straight ahead rock. And then we'd play our secret weapon at the end and foo. <laughs> <laughs> clear the room yeah <laughs> who, who came up with the riff for that was that you or fred or you guys just looked at... yeah and i'll tell you the story we had another drummer on the band before dennis thompson and he was a excellent drummer really just a backbeat yeah. great sense of time great feel could play that chuck berry stuff beautifully knew how to swing and he hated it. He hated the, the, the free jazz influence that we were trying to incorporate into what we were doing. And he would refuse to play it. And he'd sit there and hold his sticks. And, <laughs> and Fred would start the riff. And you just get madder and madder and madder and madder and madder. And the riff would go on and on and on. Everybody's like, What's going on here? <laughs> playing that riff, and uh, is, that, is that what's happening? And then yeah. finally, he would just surrender to the music and big single stroke roll. 
It was just, <laughs> it was fantastic, and it became the intro to the tune. You know? Yeah. yeah. Is it just magic like that that I mean, obviously, you know, there's a bit of defiance on his part, but for that moment, but like, <laughs> eventually, there's like all these different sounds that kind of went into what MC5 was. You know, like you have to go deep. You know, a lot of people think, oh, it was just, it was one thing, but if you peel back the layers, it's like there's so much that went into it. Well, yeah, and and I'll I'll tell you, um, I owed I owe a debt of gratitude to the um, mostly African-American jazz musicians of the free jazz movement for their courage and their tenacity and their vision uh, when the free jazz movement emerged and I was exposed to it and it spoke to me so deeply and so powerfully that it inspired me to, to, to push this idea of the MC5 into something new. Um, and I'll never be able to fully repay that debt. I mean, that's a debt that I just, I'm gonna live with all my days, that I owe those guys um, and, and women that played that music and inspired me, teenage white rock and roll guitar player, to, to that level of greatness, that level of accomplishment that the, the, just the courage uh, that they needed to to continue to play that music and record it in a man they got criticized so severely. I, I've just recently reread some of the stuff that people wrote about John Coltrane, and man, it's nasty. It's foul, mean spirited, mm. racist, horrible uh, rhetoric. Yeah. This just. And these guys endured with dignity, you know, and continued the work. And, and, you know, that's what inspired all those levels that you hear in the MC5's work, because it's coming from another place. Yeah. That's why it sounds like music can bring, even with all that racial strife and everything that happened, it's still happening. Music is one of those things that has the best potential of pulling everybody together, because when you look deep down, there's like, there's, it's all interconnected. I mean, and, you know, obviously, you know, going back to the roots of it all. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we're there's only one people right. on the world. Right. <laughs> there's one people. We come in a variety of colors, shapes, sizes, but we're one people. And and, uh, you know, the, the, and our salvation is in each other, in the connections we can make with each other. Yeah. Which, which the music demonstrates for us, it illustrates for us. I mean, in my work in the prisons, when I take a group of musicians on the yard and they see white musicians playing with Latin musicians, playing with African-American musicians, and there's women on the band, they see, oh, look, they all, they all get along pretty well. They're grooving together. It spreads to the yard. The yard starts to, to groove, you know. It, in our workshops, our Jail Guitar Doors workshops in prisons, you know, we have some rules, and the rules are that prison politics stay out on the yard. That in here, we're all artists. We're all songwriters in here. And we can talk about anybody and anything, and we do, but we have to talk to each other with dignity and respect. And, and it's yeah. you're right that that idea that we're all connected as illustrated through art um, 
that's one of the ways that we can we can survive. Awesome. Yeah, I would like like to thank you for uh, getting me in the Pharaoh Sanders. So I, I owe you for that. I don't I don't know if you've heard his new record mm. with with floating points, but it's, it's unbelievable. I'll give it a listen today. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is probably it's a minimalist recording where where and uh, it'll make your hair stand up. He's actually hold, he's holding back quite a bit, but Man. it's like come on. It's, it it's probably it's probably the album of of uh, the decade in some respects. So fantastic! Wow, happy to yeah. hear that. Brother Wayne, man, we are blessed to have you with us. Thank you uh, for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you for your tremendous contributions to music and, and for firing up Detroit and making that landmark the way you have, man. We're, we're truly blessed. You're so welcome. Thanks for the opportunity to, to blab. Yeah!